Welcome back. Episode 16. The Grolics. Only the blaze beetles light the orphans' way as they climb over giant, overlapping tree roots, roots that twist and stack into a crooked, switchbacked staircase as the orphans pursue whatever it is that's roaring. The light of the blaze beetles leads them over the crest of a hill and dumps them down into a small clearing. As another roar rings out, they hide behind an ivy curtain and peek through the vines. Is, is that a fairy? It doesn't look like any fairy I've ever heard of. Which one? So, there are several creatures in the clearing. Four, actually. In the middle is a large monster, nearly giant, but neither big enough nor tall enough to be a giant, and nearly a troll, but neither ugly enough nor foul-smelling enough to be a troll. The monster stands knee-deep in a puddle of quicksand. The other three creatures, a small flock of jumbo, low-flying vultures, perch on the edge of the pool of quicksand. One by one, they take turns swooping down and nipping at the doomed monster. Mostly, the monster just swats the jumbo, low-flying vultures out of the air, sending them thumping into the side of a tree. The vultures, not particularly intelligent creatures, shake off the thump and wait their turn to swoop in again. Oz's eyes light up. He recognizes the doomed monster. The one on the quicksand? In the quicksand. Yeah, the one in the quicksand. That's a Grawlix. My tribe ran into one once. Where? Squall Marsh. Squall Marsh? That's... that's all the way on the other side of the Whisperlands. He must be lost. The monster is now up to his waist in quicksand. His roars continue. But they sound more like cries than examples of ferocity. The only grub in Squall Marsh is other monsters. What kind of monsters? Oh, sheesh. What kind of monsters? Does it matter? If you eat monsters, then you must be a pretty fearsome monster yourself. I wonder what monsters taste like. Hmm. Couldn't be any worse than a spoonful of sludge. Oh, aye. You might be right. Sludge is not good. Well, there be no fairies here. Not a single one. Hazel fixes her eyes on the sinking Grolix. <laughs> we should keep after the Argo Bargle. Does anyone be hearing any Argo Bargle? They listen. I think I hear something. Yeah. Yeah, I hear something coming from that way. Oz points and the orphans nod and begin creeping away in the opposite direction that Oz pointed. All of them but Hazel. She can't look away from the Grolix. Hazel, this way! Suddenly Hazel races toward the quicksand, shooing away the jumbo low-flying vultures. Go on! Fly away, you bullies! She waves her hand and kicks at the vultures until they flap away into the darkness of the forest. Fly and flop doodles, Hazel! Have you lost your marbles, Hazel? This is when Hazel wades into the quicksand, taking large steps, her hand reaching toward the Grawlix. She ain't lost him before, she has now. 
It's the forest. It's making her all crazy. All whoopsie doopsie do. Hazel trudges further into the quicksand. I'm not crazy, and we can't leave this poor thing. We just can't. Why can't we? Because we know what it's like to be left behind. The orphans do know, and Hazel's appeal works. They trudge out into the quicksand. First Elwood, then Oz, then Zip, then Gruff and Copper. Only Lump and Squish stay on dry land. The orphans in the quicksand make a chain with their hands. Hazel catches the Grawlix's tail, a long furry tail with a poof on the end, and they try to haul him out. But their ambition fails them. The Grawlix is too heavy, and the quicksand is weakened and continues to weaken their collective strength. Why are you two just standing there? Hazel directs this question at Lump and Squish. Pull us in, why don't you? He means out. Pull us out. But the dwarves have no intention of getting anywhere near the quicksand. It may as well be a cave. It is, as far as they're concerned. It could swallow you up just like one. Higgledy-piggledy! Are you crazy? We're not going in there! We're still sinking! Oh, we'd be dead, man. We're sinking! We're sinking! The quicksand rises to the Grolix's shoulders. He no longer roars. He no longer cries. He whimpers, and the rest of the orphans follow his lead. Lump and Squish merely watch as their only friends in the world, their only family, blood or not, are consumed by a ravenous pool of sand. As they stand frozen, the Grolic sinks so far down that the sand muffles his mouth, and his whimpers taper off and fall silent. That slight fade and cry stirs the memory banks of Lump and Squish. And they recall all the dwarves that cried in the cave tragedy and how their cries slowly faded into silence. All their people, their parents, their family. And it's this horrible memory that drives the dwarves to act. They don't wade into the quicksand, though. Instead, They wield their axes and stand on either side of a dead tree. They chop and hack and whack, backs burning, shoulders searing, arms aching. Hurry! Hurry! Chop up that tree! Chop it up! He means down! Chop it down! Oi! Down! Chop the tree down! Make fast with that timber, you hog-headed blowfist! The Grawlix slips completely beneath the surface of the quicksand. Hazel clings to its tail, she herself now shoulder-deep. The other orphans not far behind her. When their mouths slip beneath the surface and their cries become gurgles and slurps and chokes, Lump and Squish swing their blades even harder with even more fury. The trunk of the tree gives, the wood splintering and cracking. As it tips, Lump and Squish throw a shoulder each into the trunk, guiding the tree to fall across the pool of quicksand, upon which they shimmy out and fish the orphans from the mire. They're able to grab hands of all except Hazel, who is completely submerged. Hazel! Zip turns into moss on the trunk of the felled tree. Get her! Somebody! Get her! Grab my legs! Squish grabs Lump's boots, and then Lump crawls down off the log and headfirst into the quicksand. 
he plunges further and further until Squish starts to plunge in right after him. The rest of the orphans grab Squish's boots, Gruff and Copper on one, Oz, Elwood, and Zip, who turns back into himself on the other. Come on, now, you swabs! Put your backs into it! Heave! Ho! Heave! Ho! Heave! Ho! And on the third ho, they pull Squish out, Lump comes in the next heave, and Hazel right on his heels, or rather, on his hands. She still has hold of the Grolix's poofy tail. And it takes about three more heave hoes from the entire orphanage to haul the Grolix from the quicksand. He comes out winded and panting like the orphans. And also like the orphans, and anyone who's been kissed by death, if only momentarily. Fear and exhilaration linger upon his face. They all share this moment, realizing that monsters and orphans aren't really so different when it comes down to a bottomless pool of quicksand. A squawk in the distance ends the silent moment of empathy. The squawk of a jumbo, low-flying vulture. The Grolix shakes off the empathy and responds with a deep growl. A warning that promises he'll do what monsters are supposed to do, if need be. Ah, Hazel! You see there? You be saving monsters so that the monsters can be filling their bellies with a lot of us! But Hazel pays no mind. She shuffles across the tree trunk and places a gentle hand on the Grolix's head. The great monster flinches at first, but then relents. And they rest there for a moment, connected over a pool of quicksand by conflicting feelings of relief and misplacement. But when another jumbo low-flying vulture squawks in the distance, the Grolix leaps off the tree trunk a half dozen horse lengths into the night and disappears into the crimson forest. Well, lot of good that did us. We almost drowned saving the bugger, and he up and vanishes without so much as a thank you kindly. We didn't save him for the thank you. Well, why would you save a monster if not for a thank you at the very least? Who expects a monster to say thank you? It's a monster. Manners are low on their list of things to do. Their list of things to do mostly involves finding innocents like us and eating us all the way down. Eating us up. You mean eating us up. Exactly. So why bother saving him? We saved him because he's lost. Just like us. Hazel has a way of putting things just so, reminding them what matters and what doesn't. What's worth the wind of an argument and what isn't. All right, we're really behind now. We should pick a direction and... Pick a direction and what, Elwood? Elwood points a finger toward one end of the tree upon which they're standing. The end closest to the roots. The end lump and squish have hacked into. There... About belly button high, if the tree were still standing on end, is a glowing streak, that effervescent glow. The same one found on lilt blossoms, which is the same associated with fairies. They crowd around it, a closer look revealing that it isn't just a glowing streak, but a handprint. One thumb, three fingers. Like a starfish with only four rays, fingers are more like claws, really. Hooked. A hand with gnarled and knobby bones. We've seen hands like that before. You have? Goblins. 
a little bit of figuring to determine which direction the goblin or goblins might have gone after planting a hand on that tree, and the orphans are off, driven by the excitement and the terror of goblins and all which that might mean. Thanks for listening. On the next Cobbler's Gulch, Dull Guts. In the meantime, recall the moment when the orphans and the Grolics realized they were one and the same. Experience goes a long way to blurring the lines of those things that seem, yes, the things that merely seem to separate us. Imagine the ways that those who look like you are nothing like you, and the way those who look nothing but different are entirely the same. It's worth thinking about, and it's worth even more if you act on it.